0: For the title, Come it! Good snap. The hold is down. It's long enough. It is good! Welcome to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Matic. Today's guest has spent a lifetime in education a teacher, a coach, and an administrator. He's a Nebraska native. He coached and taught in Vermilion for 17 years before he became the assistant executive director at the South Dakota High School Activities Association. He was with the association for 17 years and saw a lot of changes during his tenure. And he retired from the association 10 years ago. You know, he may be retired now, but he's also filling in quite frequently as a substitute teacher now in Pierre. He's Bob Lowry, and he joins us On In Play. Bob, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much, Craig. Enjoy being here.
0: Hey, you and I first ran into each other back in 1978. You were teaching and coaching in Vermilion. When I arrived to broadcast Vermilion football and basketball on the radio, how long had you been in Vermilion when we first met in 1978?
1: Just uh, that was my first year. Uh, My first year there was uh, the 77-78 school year. So, uh, started there in the fall of
0: '77. Was it your first job after uh, after college, SDSU? It
1: was. Yeah, I got my undergraduate degree at Peru State College in Nebraska, and then I spent a year as a graduate assistant at uh, South Dakota State, uh, working on my master's degree.
0: Your hometown is Superior. Nebraska, that's right along the Nebraska-Kansas border, right? I think you can you can see Kansas from Superior, can't you?
1: Oh, yeah, it's about uh, one mile away from where the crow flies, you know. But, uh, yeah, still have two sisters, and my mother still lives there. My father passed away about 20 years ago, but uh, get down there quite frequently. Matter of fact, this summer we had our 50th class reunion, so... I couldn't believe how old my classmates had gotten.
0: <laughs> what was sports like for you uh, and the family when you were growing up in Superior? Were you in, involved with a lot of sports as a family?
1: Well, yeah, I uh, i was really the only one. My two sisters weren't involved in athletics. Of course, that was prior to Title IX, so there wasn't a lot of opportunities for for the girls, but uh I ran cross country, and then played basketball, and then ran track, uh, played baseball in the summer up until my till I was 17 years old, and then I didn't play basketball, or excuse me, uh, baseball. I devoted all my time to running during the summer, getting ready for my uh, junior and senior year of cross country and track.
0: I know you loved uh, the running, the track and the cross country. What, what got you into that particular sport?
1: You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I, uh, I wasn't a very good football player. I know that. I tell everybody that I played guard, end, and tackle in junior high. I guarded the end of the bench and tackled anybody that got close. <laughs> uh, that was my experience as a football player. So cross country, I, you know, as an eighth grader, uh, I started running track and running the distances. I wasn't real fleet of foot, so I wasn't going to be a sprinter. And just thoroughly enjoyed that, so uh, just pursued that as basically my uh, my career in athletics was was with running.
0: I know you talked about playing baseball uh, in Superior. I found out, and I this is a little bit of a tidbit here. Superior, Nebraska, had one of the well, one of the smallest cities in America that had a professional minor league baseball team, the Superior Senators. Back yep. in the late mid fifties or so. And in fact, Jim Cott, the former twin apparently pitched in superior at one point in time.
1: Yes, he did. And, uh, I think he actually played for a team called the superior Knights. Um, uh, uh, they, uh, they actually built the stadium baseball stadium that still stands today. Uh, when those, uh, uh minor league teams were there. And, uh, a really nice uh, baseball stadium, doesn't have grass infield or anything, but it's got the uh, brick uh, stands uh, for the uh, fans and so forth. So yeah, they, uh, matter of fact, when I was at a meeting in Kansas City one time when I was with the association, I was in a sports bar with some of my colleagues and they had a bunch of old newspaper clippings up on the wall. And sure enough, there was a thing on there, Superior Knights win. You know, <laughs> that was kind of
0: interesting to see that. And Cod just went into the Hall of Fame recently. Yes, he did. What cool yep. was that? So after high school, it was off to Peru State. Was there an athletic scholarship in on that uh, when you went yeah, to Peru? Yeah, I did.
1: I did get a uh, half-tuition scholarship to run cross-country and track at Peru. Nice. wasn't too uh, far away from
0: Superior, right? Peru wasn't uh, that was far away. about
1: 150 miles of a yeah. three-hour drive, you know, down in the southeast corner of Nebraska, so it was maybe about 60 miles straight south of Omaha, right on the uh, Missouri River, beautiful campus,
0: yep.
1: Uh really small college. Uh, we only had about 650 students when I was going to school there, and the campus was called Campus of a Thousand Oaks, and they had just huge oak trees all over campus. So our saying was always Campus of a Thousand Oaks, where there's more oaks than folks. <laughs> <You know. laughs> um, unfortunately, Prue, they ran into some financial difficulties, and the cross-country and track programs were dropped after my sophomore year. So
0: Is that when you uh, went to South Dakota State?
1: No, I stayed and finished uh, my degree at, at Peru State. Didn't run as a junior or senior, and then uh, when I uh, graduated, then I was fortunate enough to get a graduate assistantship. Uh, spent a year working under Jay Dirksen in with the cross country and track program at South Dakota State.
0: Hmm. So you go to Vermilion right out of uh, right out of college. Was was coaching. How much coaching were you doing right away? Uh, Very first year uh, in Vermilion. Yeah,
1: that very first year I was the head boys and girls cross-country coach and then the head boys and girls track coach. Um, So kind of got thrown into the fire and uh, (laughs) had to tone down my jackrabbit uh, cheering uh, a little bit being in coyote country. But uh, we all all survived, but – some really good, uh, cross country and track teams the first few years I was there. And, uh, there during that period of time, we were bumped up to double A for about a four year period of time because we had a big class going through and it pushed us up in enrollment into the double A class. But then, uh, starting in 1983, we dropped back down to class A and, uh, we're fortunate enough in 83 to win the state a cross country meet. And then that followed that up that spring in 84 winning the state a track meet for the boys.
0: You know, you think about all those early years coaching in Vermilion back in the late seventies, and you take a look at the training of athletes in track and cross country back then, what do you think has been the biggest difference in coaching track and cross country since the late seventies?
1: Well, You know, I don't know if there's a lot of, uh, things that have changed. Uh, Rich Greeno, who knew a little bit about cross country and track, um, always told me, he said, yeah, there's a hundred different ways to coach them, Bob. You just have to figure out what works for you. And, uh, you know, I took that advice, uh, to heart, you know, and, uh, we experimented with different, uh, training, uh, techniques and so forth, uh. Always went with the hard day, easy day concept where we would run a hard one day and then kind of take it easy the next. And uh, But I don't know if it's really changed all that much other than, like I say, uh, there's a hundred different ways to coach athletes, and you just got to find what works best for you.
0: You added the athletic director job in Vermillion. Uh, you did that for nine years. Uh, what surprised you the most about doing that job when you – Took it over in Vermilion?
1: Well, it's a lot of time and uh, a time away from home, you know. And I had a really young family at that time, and I ended up spending more time with other people's kids than I did my own. <laughs> um, that was probably the biggest thing, and not near as busy as what athletic directors are now today. I mean, we've added since I got out of the uh, administrative uh, duties. Uh, soccer's been added for boys and girls. You got cheer and dance for girls. Um, You know, there's something going on every single night of the week, and some nights there's two or three things going on. So it's a lot of time, and uh, I don't know if people really understand the amount of time that our athletic administrators have to put in beyond the normal school day, because there's a lot of times they get to school at 7 in the morning, and they don't get home till 10 at night you know and uh with all the added activities and everything we've got going on now that could be four or five nights a week
0: it's about 1994 um i think it got the year close but there's a job opening at the south dakota high school activities association what intrigued you about that open position
1: well, when I became the athletic director in Vermilion in 1986, uh, succeeded Ronnie Brown. Ronnie Brown had been a long time football and athletic director, uh, in, uh, in Vermilion. He retired and I became the athletic director. And one of those responsibilities was to manage the football playoff championships that were in Vermilion every year. And, uh, just doing that statewide organization, uh, for that event kind of intrigued me about the High School Activities Association position when uh, Bernie Stocking announced that he was going to retire. So I threw my name in the hat and was fortunate enough to get the job and uh, enjoyed that thoroughly for the 17, 18 years I was there.
0: How big was that job description when you first got there?
1: Well, it was a big jump. Uh, You know, here I am, a guy that's got a lot of cross-country and track experience, and the two biggest sports that I had to, uh, be in charge of were football and wrestling. Uh, you know, other than participating in football as a seventh and eighth grader, I'd never participated in wrestling. And now all of a sudden I'm the chief rule interpreter <laughs> for the, for the state, for those two sports. And, uh, You know, I was very upfront and honest with people. And I think people appreciated that. I said, there's going to be a learning curve here. Uh, I'm not going to try and Buffalo you. If you ask me a question, I don't know the answer. I'll tell you, I don't know the answer, but I'll research and get back to you. And I think people appreciated that and uh, that honesty. And I can still remember the first time I ever went to a National Football Rules Committee meeting. I was the South Dakota voting rep on that for the, all the years that I was at the association. And we were in our subcommittee of game administration. And they were talking about a particular rule change. And uh, Mike Webb, who was counterpart from the state of West Virginia, was uh, chairman of that committee. And we're talking about this rule change. Mike does not have his rule book open. And he starts quoting, he's saying, well, if we change that rule, it's going to have an effect on rule 375 on page 28 of the rule book. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, am I out of my league here? <laughs> you know, but, uh, You know. the great thing about serving on that committee too, there was no dumb questions. Uh, everybody uh, wanted to help each other out and make sure that we all left and we were all on the same page.
0: It wasn't too long after you got to peer rumblings about the seasons of girls' basketball and volleyball. Remember, girls' basketball was in the fall and volleyball was in the winter. And what were those discussions like, knowing that a, a possible switch in the seasons was being pushed?
1: Right. We were, they were down to, I believe, five states were still playing girls' basketball in the fall it Montana, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Michigan. And uh, the fifth one is escaping me right now. It might have been West Virginia. I'm not sure on the fifth one. But uh, a lot of discussion on that. And the, the push was coming from the volleyball people because we're out of traditional season. Uh, the basketball people liked it. But the volleyball people, all the college scholarships, although that wasn't a Main focus, or shouldn't be a main focus of high school athletics. All the volleyball scholarships were being awarded prior to our seniors having an opportunity to play their senior year of volleyball. And uh, there was a push in the courts that uh, that was not fair and it was actually a violation of Title Nine. And uh, we fought that for a long time because that's what our schools wanted us to do. They wanted to continue doing what they were doing. But uh, ultimately, we knew that every state that had tried to fight it had lost. And we didn't think it was wise to spend millions of dollars fighting a court case that you're going to lose. And so we ultimately switched the seasons. And lo and behold, the following year, we were sued for switching, you know, and and ended up in federal court, and the federal court sided with us, and -hmm. now we have volleyball in the uh, fall and and girls' basketball in the winter, and I'll tell everybody, it worked out great. We have bigger crowds in volleyball now than we ever had with volleyball in the winter, and we've got bigger crowds for girls' basketball than we had in the fall. So, ultimately, it turned out to be a great move, I think.
0: Well, another story unfolded uh, during your tenure, shortly about the same time, and it regarded nine-man football. 1999, adopting the three-class system for nine-man football. What were those discussions like?
1: Well, that had been discussed quite a bit prior to me coming to the office, and then it kind of died. And so i would there been there for five years, and... Not a whole lot had been said. I had a few uh, small school administrators ask me about it. And I just personally got to be evaluating things that here we had three classes of 11-man football. We had only two classes of nine-man football. And we had more schools playing nine-man than we did 11-man. Uh, so I thought it was only fair. We tried for a couple of years. Of qualifying uh, 32 schools to the playoffs with two classes of nine man. But geez, we were playing a game on Thursday, Tuesday, Friday, Monday, you know, and that's just too much football. It's just not safe. And so I kind of proposed to, to people, and then it kind of uh, caught fire, and uh, we ultimately went to three classes of football only because. I kept saying that football is the only sport that you have to qualify for to get to postseason. You can be 0-21 in basketball, and you still get to go to a district or region tournament. Uh, not so in football, and it's still not so today. Not everybody qualifies. By, by adding that class, we had more schools that were going to have an opportunity to experience postseason play in football.
0: Wow. First five years on the job, you're debating the switch of the seasons with girls' basketball and volleyball, and you're dealing with uh, the class nine-man uh, debate. Uh, did you think things maybe would slow down a little bit after uh, those two big-time stories?
1: No, there was never really a slow time because shortly after we went to three-man, three classes of nine-man football, then we started experiencing some problems with uh, only three classes of 11 man football. And, uh, you know, then we ultimately where we're at now where we've got four classes of 11 men and seven classes of football for the people that are on the outside looking in with the number of schools and the number of football programs we have seven classes, I will agree, makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But when you look at our demographics and the, disparity in enrollments at the 11-man level and the number of schools that are playing nine-man football, it begins to make a little more sense. Uh, When we started talking about going to a fourth class of uh, 11-man, the big issue was at the old 11AA with those top 16 to 18 schools. And we were going with enrollments all the way from 600 up to enrollments of about 2,000 were all in the same class, and uh, everybody agreed. We probably had 30 meetings, you know, trying to decide what we were going to do, and everybody agreed that that bottom four, five, six schools in enrollment uh, really couldn't compete on a weekly basis or a yearly basis with the larger schools, so what do we do with them? You know, well, if you move them down to 11A, you haven't really solved anything. The only thing you've done is shift the problem to 11A. Yeah. And uh, then if you move the bottom of 11A down to 11B, then you've just shifted the problem again. So ultimately, we just decided that, uh, you know, the trouble is at the 11AA level, let's leave the other classes alone and let's just split the AA into two equal classes. Of, at that time, it was eight, eight and eight, triple uh, A and double A, and we're still there today.
0: Do you think six-man football might return to South Dakota? I think it might down the road. It, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it might down the road. I know that the schools up in the northwest corner of the state uh, were really pushing to add six-man, and it looked like it was going to become a possibility uh, a couple of years ago because there was about... 30 schools that indicated an interest in playing six-man football. But then when you come right down to it, for people to actually make the decision, it meant splitting some co-ops and people weren't really interested in doing that, especially down in the Southeast corner, where those co-ops have been in existence for a long time. And so there ended up only being about 14, 15 schools that were interested in playing six-man football And the problem was the traveling distance between those schools that were interested just made it impossible to really consider. So it kind of got put on the back burner. But uh, as enrollments continue to to decrease, uh, I can foresee six-man football uh, coming to the state at some point in time.
0: Bob, one more note on football. While you were there at the association, you developed the regular season football schedule for all the schools that was back in 1998. What was the reason for that, and, and why doesn't it uh, happen with all the sports with the association?
1: Well, we started in 1998 doing it for just nine men, or excuse me, for just 11 men, and then a few years later we started doing it for the nine man as well. And what was happening, and I ran into a little bit of this when I was the athletic director in Vermilion, everybody was looking for games. But somebody might be open week one and somebody else is open week seven. So they'd end up playing week four on a Tuesday, you know, and then play two games in, in one week and not have a game at all another week. And so when I came to the office, I just met with the schools and I said, I'm not interested in breaking up conferences. I'm not in, interested in ending out-of-state games that you may have, that you've had for a long time. And I'm not interested in breaking up long-time existing rivalries within state. But I would be willing to take it upon myself to schedule everybody's football schedule for them so we can get everybody playing one game a week all all season long. And uh, the schools bought into that. And what I did was early in the school year, Uh, Usually in September or October, I would send out a form to the schools, let me know what conference you're in, do you want to play a full round-robin conference schedule, do you uh, have any out-of-state opponents, and if you do, what week do you play them, because we're going to have to lock that in, and then do you have any non-conference opponents that uh, you want to continue playing that have been longtime rivalries? And then once I got all that in, then I would start plugging uh, games together. And usually by about March, just prior to the athletic director's conference, I would have those schedules done.
0: That's over a hundred schools. You're doing football schedules. I, that's, yep. And
1: that's why it took me from November to March <laughs> <laughs> to do that. Spent a lot of time at home on the kitchen table, but it was something I thoroughly enjoyed. I mean, I really enjoyed it. It was like putting a, 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle together, and you had to make sure you had all 5,000 pieces there before you started because you change one thing, it changes five other things. So, you had to have everything uh, in front of you before you ever started that process.
0: But But it's still going on today where the association is coming up with the football schedule.
1: Yep, it still is, and I think the reason it doesn't happen in the other sports is people don't, football's a little different animal where you play one game a week, you know, basketball, you might play two or three volleyball. You might play two or three, um, you know, so people are able, they've got a little more flexibility to, uh, choose dates and so forth as to where they can play and where they can't play. And realistically, people want to be in control of their own, own scheduling. And, uh, but football is just that different animal where we're trying to play one day a week. And, of course, we ran into some issues at the AA level with, uh, you know, ESD and the uh, Sioux Falls schools and trying to uh, work through all of that. And ultimately, we did get work through it. And I think everything's going pretty good right now.
0: You did oversee that soccer became a sanctioned sport. It started the year, I believe, uh, the year after you retired. But uh, there were a handful of teams in one class, and now in its 11th year, there are two classes of boys and girls soccer, 28 schools in girls soccer, 30 in boys soccer. Did you think we would see the expansion in soccer when it was first sanctioned?
1: Yeah, we, uh, we started talking about that, and we were talking with the club soccer uh, people about it becoming a sanctioned sport. And uh, you're right that uh, we voted to add that as a sanctioned sport, and then the first year was the uh, first year that I had retired. So I never really got involved with, uh, with overseeing the soccer. I was there involved on the ground floor of getting it sanctioned. We were the last state to sanction soccer uh, in the nation. And uh, soccer is a very, very popular sport. And uh, we just thought it was time. And it was something we could add for both the boys and the girls, uh, which uh, which we did. And uh, it will continue to grow, I think. You know, it's uh, some of our smaller schools, real small schools, maybe not don't, just because they don't have enough kids. But, uh, you know, it'll continue to grow as it has here, uh, the first 10, 11 years.
0: Bob, were there a couple of items that you just couldn't get past before you retired in 2011 or an issue?
1: Uh, no, not really. Um, uh, you know, when I decided to, to hang it up, you know, I, uh, Wayne Carney, who was our executive director at the time, he. Tried to talk it out, talk me out of it. And uh, so I had given my letter of resignation that was going to be effective the end of the 2011 2012 school year. So July 1st, 2012. I'd given that letter to Wayne in the end of September. And uh, Wayne had, he says, Are you sure this is something you want to do? And I go, Yeah, I just think it's time, Wayne. He said, Well, I'm going to put this letter in a file and we don't have to let the board know till January. (laughs) When we come back from Christmas break in January, you and I will talk again and we'll see if this is still
0: something you want to do. So (laughs) he was holding out hope for you, wasn't he? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And so sure enough, we got back from Christmas break and Wayne called me down to his office and had the letter and he says, well, what do you think? And I said, Wayne I just think it's time um, I said if you haven't noticed I don't get here at 8 o'clock in the morning anymore I leave my house at 8 and <laughs> I take a little longer at noon if I can duck out of here before 5 o'clock in the afternoon I duck out and uh, that's not doing the job justice I just uh, I'm tired and uh, just want to move on and I'm, I'm ready to turn this over to somebody else you know and 95% of the job was great. You know, the relationships that you're able to develop, uh, being in charge of state events was a, a lot of fun. Uh, but that 5% of uh, constant second-guessing every decision that you make was beginning to work on me a little bit. And so I just thought it was time for me to uh, to move on, let somebody else deal with that. And John Krogstrand came in and did a nice job for – the uh, nine years he was there, and now uh, he's gone and went to uh, Omaha to be mm-hmm. athletic director down at the Omaha school system. So,
0: Well, the board of directors of the association, of course, is made up of superintendents, coaches, athletic directors, and administrators from the state's, oh, about 172 school districts. Is the makeup similar in other states' association board of directors when it comes to their activities association?
1: Yeah, for the most part, I think we might be one of the few states that have athletic directors on our board of directors. Uh, a lot of states only have superintendents and principals. Uh, some have only high school principals on, on their board. But I think for the most part across the country, people have a diverse cross-section of school administrators that, uh, that serve on their boards. Probably the one thing that we do different in South Dakota is with our advisory committees. And uh, that was something that was started way back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s by Ruth Rain. Uh, And we have advisory committees for each sport, and people can go to those advisory committees and make recommendations uh, for rule changes or whatever it might be affecting that particular sport. And uh, then that advisory committee will meet and consider those. And then from there, they pass it on to the athletic directors. And the athletic directors vote on them at their spring conference. And then from there, it comes back to the board. So the board has a lot of information from the schools as to how they feel about particular rule changes. And uh, not a lot of states on that. I'm not sure if any other state does that, uh, but we feel it's very important to make sure that our schools are heard uh, when we're talking about uh, particular rule changes.
0: Two more questions for you, Bob. And one of them we got to get back to uh, track, uh, the the sport you really love. You've been involved with the Howard Wood Dakota Relays and the state track meet uh, for decades. Why? Do you love those two events?
1: Well, you know, I don't know. I think it just goes back to, uh, you know, I really fell in love with the sport when I was in high school, continued on in the college level. And, uh, uh I, it's just always been, you know, in my heart for, for those particular sports. And then of course I had, uh, kids and now I've got grandkids that are participating in those activities. And, uh, it's something that I just thoroughly enjoy watching. You know, there's nothing more colorful and nothing more exciting than the state track meets at the end of the year when the weather cooperates. So when the weather doesn't cooperate, the state track meets kind of a, kind of a bugger to, uh, to get through. But, uh, boy, when that weather cooperates, there's nothing more colorful and more exciting than watching all of our schools and, Last year, of course, was the first day of the three-day state track meet and everybody all at one site, and I think that overall went over very well. I think they'll make a few adjustments, minor adjustments this year, but I think that's here
0: to stay. And, Bob, you've been away from the Activities Association now for 10 years. What's keeping you busy today?
1: Well, like I say, I am doing a lot of substitute teaching uh thoroughly enjoy that it's an opportunity to develop relationships with kids which is the reason why i got into business in the first place uh i run the clock for all the football games here in pier i do the shot clock for boys and girls uh basketball i help out running the clock when needed for uh wrestling tournaments and so forth start their middle school track meets you know so i'm funny busy
0: If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Programs such as this are only possible through the continued support of our listeners like you. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Craig Maddox. Join us again on the next episode of In Play.